Welcome to the episode of Let People Prosper series. My name is Dr. Vance Ginn. I hope you're having a prosperous day. Well, today we have another freedom fighter, liberty warrior, somebody that you also want on the front lines with you, no matter what you're going through. I mean, he's been doing this for a long time, whether it be energy, budgets, taxes. I mean, he's been doing a lot of stuff, but today we're really going to focus on energy and the future of energy, uh, reliable sources of energy, the things that's really the lifeblood that fuels our economy and our daily lives. And it's nothing, none other than the honorable Jason Isaac. Jason, welcome to Let Pure Prosper Show. Vance, great to be on. Thanks. I know when you and I were st- used to work more closely together and I first started at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, I walked in and, and immediately gravitated towards a high energy individual. That was you. And yeah. I was like, man, I hope this place doesn't explode with our energy. Uh, <laughs> So people plug in, you're about to get charged up on uh, let people prosper. So this is awesome. I'm excited to be here. All right. All right. That's exactly right. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for the audience, you know, I want to go through your bio real quick and then we'll just jump right in it because you've got a good, great bio here. Uh, and I'll post this on the show notes page, vancegan.substack.com. Um, and we're recording this on February 10th, 2023, just in case something happens between now and whenever this goes live. The Honorable Jason Isaac is director of Life Powered, a national initiative of the Texas Public Policy Foundation to raise America's energy IQ. Jason has appeared live on Fox Business Network and other national news shows, and his commentaries have been published on Fox Business, The Hill, The Examiner, and many others. He's a regular contributor to the Epic Times. Um, prior to joining Life Power, Jason, a fourth-generation native Texan, was, was elected four times as state representative for Hayes and Blanco counties in the Texas Hill Country. He served on the Energy Resources and Environmental Regulations Committee. Among others. Um, during his eight years of service, he successfully passed legislation to reduce taxes, strengthen election integrity, improve education, preserve Second Amendment rights protect local groundwater, and and protect private property rights. All good stuff there. He was repeatedly honored for his commitment to limited government and proved to be an effective leader, excelling at both advocating for conservative principles and working across the aisle to find responsible solutions for the future of the Lone Star State. Jason is a graduate of Stephen F. Austin State University and serves as a high school lacrosse coach. He lives in Hayes County with his wife and and sons. Um, Jason, again, it's just a pleasure to have you on the Let People Prosper show today and a pleasure to know you as a friend um, and uh, you've just been doing some such great work over the years um, i really appreciate that and and your family as well to get us started first question i like to ask is what drives you jason i know you're a happy warrior you get <laughs> pumped up as well but what really drives you to do the things that you do each and every day well i think it's a lot like you you've got your let people prosper my my mission is very similar to that as well and it's one uh you know i first started at the foundation just over four years ago uh, one of my sons asked me they're like dad what are you going to go do and i said i'm going to go work in poverty around the world and his response was like oh gosh do you think you can do that? That's kind of a big deal. And I told him, absolutely, with the energy that is under our feet here in Texas, we can liberate the last billion people on the face of the earth that don't have access to energy. And unfortunately, the people that are impacted most by that are women around the world. And, and those women will spend 200 million hours today walking to collect water. And I was raised by a single mother and my older sister. And, and so 
when, when I hear about policies like this that are being put in place around the world that are being driven by globalist organizations that are really designing, they're really denying these women access to affordable, reliable energy, it's painful, it's hurtful. And so I'm thinking, well, why don't we get them energy? And, and we should be getting them energy from right here in Texas, where we produce it more responsibly than anywhere else on the face of the earth and liberate everyone. The last billion people, most most importantly, I think, are the women that, that face the brunt of energy poverty uh, because they could be getting involved in civic engagement. They could be running for office. They could be starting businesses, uh, getting you know, more education, but they're denied those opportunities because they're saddled with the burdens of collecting water, of mm -hmm. collecting animal dung and biomass to heat that water up to be somewhat potable. So it drives me every day. And the team that we, we've, we've surrounded ourselves with here at the Life Powered Project is really we come to work every single day uh, and, and focus on it on the weekends too. It's this big mission to end poverty around the world. It's amazing, Jason. And I and what's great about it is I know your heart's in it as well. Like this is truly what moves you each and every day. And you're always traveling. <laughs> you're always yeah. on the road. Texas is a large state, you know, and it's not even just Texas. You're also going to D.C. and, and other places as well. You know, um, what have been some of the big policy in, initiatives that we'll talk about throughout the rest of this conversation? But what are some of the big ones that really grab grab hold of your attention? There's two really that are important that that have been priorities here at the foundation of Life Powered. And, and two, two, those two policies are pushing back against woke financial institutions that are discriminating against responsible American energy producers. And the other one is grid reliability. And they're both closely related uh, because you're seeing this incredible market distorting policies that are put in that have been put in that are impacting grids, not only here in Texas, as we saw in Winter Storm Uri, but around the country and really around the world. Uh, and then this, this discrimination by financial institutions and banks asset managers, insurance providers around the world is denying capital through the, the guise of this feel-good environmental, social, and corporate governance policies or socially responsible investing, which I say is brilliant marketing. Yeah. It's wrong and it's evil, but the marketing has been phenomenal on it and people have bought into it so much so that private capital invested in oil and gas over the last six years from 2015 to 2021 has decreased 94% because companies and investors are pulling their money out of oil and gas because that's what they're being told by their large institutional shareholders like BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street. So those two policies continue to be our driving work here at Life Powered. We work on other things as well, and, and hopefully we'll get a chance maybe to talk about some of our education efforts uh, at K through 12. But those two pieces of policy that we're working on have really pushed Life Powered into the national stardom that it, that it deserves because uh, I took a, a stab at a first draft of a bill uh, in, in 2019, late 2019, early 2020, which ultimately became priority legislation from the Lieutenant Governor here in Texas, Senate Bill 13, that if you boycott, divest, or sanction fossil fuel producers, then you're no longer welcome to do business with the state of Texas. And this is modeled after the anti-BDS Israel policies that first started getting passed in 2017 in Texas that says if you boycott, divest, or sanction Israel, you can't do business with the state of Texas. So very, very similar model. Uh, Comptroller Hager, Governor Abbott, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, Speaker Phelan have all done miraculous work on this front to really not only protect the industry, but protect human flourishing and make sure that we have access to affordable, reliable 
energy. I say it's pushed yep. us to the front because we got it passed in Texas in 2021. It's now the law of the land. Uh, since then, four additional states have passed it, uh, West Virginia, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and Kentucky. And just in the next few days, you're going to have more states that are going to consider it in front of their full bodies. have been brought to this national level of attention and been asked to testify repeatedly around the country you know, whether it's me or people from our team, uh, to try to educate policymakers and the general public about this policy and ultimately make sure that we've got access to affordable, reliable energy. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense, Jason. And let's just start there with the ESG stuff, and then we can move into, I think it'll be a good segue into the reliable stuff. <laughs> right, yeah, they're closely related. I, they are. I mean, I think the way you've laid it out there is really a good way to lay it out, that this is something that's distorting the overall marketplace from the decisions that are made by the biggest investment companies in, in America. Now, you know, you whenever you and I first started talking about this, I had questions. I was like, man, I'm, you know, I'm a free market guy. I'm a free market economist. I'm more classical liberal, uh, libertarian in a lot of ways. I'm like, man, you know, this just sounds like big government coming in to, to do something with the marketplace. But the more that we've been doing research on this and you've been doing research and educating me on it, the more that I've understood that, look, if, if we're going to do something like this and, and states are using taxpayer dollars with these state pensions like TRS, which is a massive retirement system mm -hmm. in Texas, or yeah. ERS, the Employees Retirement System, these are taxpayer dollars. So they're using, these fund managers are using dollars not based on the fiduciary duty of what's best for the retirees and for the taxpayer ultimately, right? Um, they're, they're thinking about all these other measures that are going on from the black rocks of the world who are thinking they're doing, you know, social justice with ESG. And it's not that we're saying that it's not for individuals to make the decisions if they want to go down that route and potentially more than likely have less rate of return, because that's what happens whenever you invest in these sort of unreliable sources of energy, yeah. but this are taxpayer dollars. And so there is a clear distinction there in my mind, as I've come to understand it more and everything else. But I wonder, as you got to that place, what are some of the things that you know, you've thought about or others have brought up that maybe just aren't realistic in the situation that we're facing. Yeah. And 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 like you, I grappled with this from the get go. I'm like, this this is not a, a, a solution that really doesn't sound too free market. It, uh, those were my initial thoughts. But I'm like, but this is a federalist approach yeah. to this issue, because what's happening is these financial institutions, I mentioned three, the big three, BlackRock, Vanguard and State Street, is they control a, a vast vast majority of global investable wealth. Uh, if you look at the companies that they invest in at one point in time, it just just recently, I think this is still pretty accurate. BlackRock owns at least 5% of over 95% of the companies in the S&P 500. That 5% may seem small, but it's a significant portion. You look at companies, and I did this just recently because I was like, you, you know, Southwest Airlines has been in the news recently. They had the, the near mishap in, in Austin, probably not a Southwest issue, but the technical failures that led to thousands of cancellations uh, over, I think it was over the holidays, that's lack of investment. And so I, I go to Southwest Airlines website and I look at, they have this carbon offset program where if I can earn points by buying carbon offsets on my flight, and then Southwest Airlines will not only give me points, so that costs them money, but they'll also, for every dollar I contribute to carbon offsets, they'll put in $2. So they're, they're, not, they're matching me and doubling that match. And I'm thinking, wait, is this a good use of capital? Should they be investing in technology or they should be investing in offsetting 
their carbon dioxide. And I'm like, why, why are they even doing this? Because we've actually done the research here within the Life Power that, that shows that if you eliminate all the CO2 emissions in the United States by 2030, the temperature differential by 2100 is less than two-tenths of a degree. It's nothing. It's within the margin of error. So eliminating CO2 from the atmosphere doesn't mitigate a changing climate. But this is what the financial institutions have placed their emphasis on, because this is what they're told by the climate cult. And so you, you go back and you just search, well, I wonder who the top shareholders are of Southwest Airlines. Well, I think it's Vanguard or State Street. I think it's Vanguard is the number one shareholder and BlackRock's in the top 10. And you're like, gosh, okay, well, no wonder because BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street are telling them they have to align with a Paris agreement. I've, I've had the opportunity over the last year and a half to, to visit with several members of Congress. And I've told them, I said, I, I really hope the hearings begin because I think this is treasonous that you have companies, financial institutions that are using pension dollars. They're using the employee retirement system, the ERISA program of federal government dollars, of federal employee dollars to really weaponize those dollars against the best interests of companies and force compliance with the treaty that hasn't been ratified by the United States Congress. Uh, and, and that's, so we heard the story of a guy getting debanked by Chase Bank when, when our bill was up before the Texas legislature. And this is someone I didn't know until then, until after that. I tracked him down, I cyberstalked him and found him because he had a great story. 35 employees, oil and gas services company, just a service company, doesn't produce, doesn't extract, doesn't transfer, transport. He's just got a services company. And Chase Bank said, we've got to cut your $500,000 line of credit. You know, and, and for him, it was devastating. He's like, I'm, this, I, we've banked together for 20 years. Well, it's because you're in the oil and gas business. So it, 35 families for days are thinking, you know, they're going to lose their, their livelihood because of a political decision by their bank. But fortunately, he was able to go out and frost a bank, a Texas chartered bank, a Texas-based bank said, yeah, your business is great. We're going to give you a $500,000 line of credit. Then Plains Capital Bank, another Texas-based bank, also said, we're going to give you a $500,000 line. So then doubled his line of credit. He's actually able to grow his business. I just talked to him uh, within the last month or two, and his business is doing really well, uh, and it's great. But you look at who owns Chase Bank, and who these big three are large investors into Chase Bank. And Chase Bank has lined with the Paris Accord. to, And then said they're decarbonizing their portfolio starting in 2020 and starting with this guy, James Lofton, with JEN Resources, his oil and gas services company. That's how they decarbonized their platform. You get rid of business. Uh, and so that's how we're seeing this being weaponized against responsible American energy producers. And the last, last, last little story I'll tell you is the, the BlackRock joined with this engine number one, this activist shareholder of Exxon. Engine number one owned like 0.01% of Exxon, but they were driving this initiative to put three activist board members on Exxon's board, and they were successful in getting two of them on, and BlackRock joined them in voting for these activist board members. These board members want to decarbonize a business that produces hydrocarbons. I say that's like defooding a restaurant. It doesn't work out too well for anyone involved. Uh, and I asked BlackRock about this a year after our bill became law, and they said, we really wanted more innovative board members on the board. And I said, well, was it innovative to join and, and to sign on, to commit to meet the terms of the Paris Accord? Was it innovative to decarbonize by 2050? And was it innovative to sell the assets that Exxon was going to produce oil and gas on in Southeast Asia? Well, well, we don't, we don't really want to get into that. And I said, well, it's interesting because they sold those assets in Southeast Asia where Exxon, an American company, was going to produce oil and gas. 
And guess who they sold them to? They sold them to PetroChina. Now, do you think PetroChina is going to produce that oil and gas as responsibly as Exxon is? I don't think so. But it's well, then you peel the layers back of the young in even more. And guess who's a big investor in PetroChina? BlackRock. It's just absolutely, wow. it is It is communism through the back door because they can't get these policies implemented through the capitals and the domes where we educate policymakers. So they're going into the boardrooms and they're mm. forcing them getting done that way. They're twisting arms, they're forcing companies to adopt resolutions or just adopt the policies without even going to shareholders. Wow. Something else. Um, it really is. Told- yeah. So yeah. Again, we have to push back and we say, you know what, we're not going to entrust companies like BlackRock or Vanguard or State Street to have the assets of taxpayers here Mm -hmm. in Texas or pensioners here in Texas. We're not going to entrust you with our money, our taxpayers, our pensioners money. And then have you use that money and weaponize it against the best interest of the state of Texas. Yeah. And so that was that was really the precipice for the bill that ultimately became law. And I, I think it's working wonderfully well because now you see, I, I think it's funny, being a former politician, I, of course, when I was a politician, I love to say all the jobs I created. You know, a lot, a lot of politicians love to say that. Yeah. But it's interesting. You know, now that I'm out of office, selected office now going on for a little over four years, I I actually have created jobs because passing this bill, BlackRock has hired lobbyists up all over the country. They're doing a whole bunch of advertising. I see their ads, these feel good ads on Fox News. They're trying to work on recovering uh, their image and and maybe recover some of their assets because they've had the largest financial loss of any company in the history of mankind last year. Wow. And, And the top 10 ESG funds all lost. Yeah, double digits last year, Vance. Yeah, and and I think that's the big part of this, right? Is that there's not the fiduciary duty by the financial managers putting money in these ESG funds because the idea that they should be getting the highest rates of return, right, <laughs> uh, for their customers, and and, yeah. and they're not. Um, and I think it even goes to, and you've touched on this before, Jason, of the issue where what exactly are we trying to do? <laughs> I mean, the idea of the climate crisis. We heard. President Biden talked about this in the State of the Union. I mean, it's a talking point that's used often out there is the, the climate crisis. We've got to do something now. And so maybe, you know, these these large investment companies have the best of intentions. Uh, but the, the problem is the results, right? Milton Friedman said, don't judge a policy by its intention, but, uh, by the intentions of it, but by the results. And I think the same thing goes here is that we're funneling money into these sources of energy, renewable, wind and solar, for example, that, you know, doesn't work whenever it's cloudy outside or raining. If it, if it you know, if it's not sunny um, and then the wind's not blowing, then, then the wind energy is not there either. And so a combination of these things are having a problem. And you also hit on another key point about, you know, a lot of the production of coal, uh, other energy sources are going to places that don't care as much about the environment, like, China, you know, yeah. and, and so you're sending it to a place where this is a global issue. It's not just one country that you have to be influenced by, but there's also other types of data that I love to you for you to um, expand on would be that it's, it seems like it's a very small percentage of climate change. I mean, the climate is always naturally changing. It has throughout history, uh, but how much, I guess the question is how much of it is actually done by humans. And so we're putting so much of an emphasis on, we've got to have policies and everything else, which to me 
ends up being more about control, not about doing something for the climate and controlling the economy and controlling people. But what are some of those other um, factoids that you really look at with, with within the life power and, and what's going on with the climate? Yeah, and we do. We talk a lot about decarbonization. I may have some Topo Chico on my shelf back here. Yeah. That's, you know, that's my carbon storage. And if I open that and I ingest that, I'm ingesting higher concentrations of CO2 than what's in the atmosphere. And I'm not going to spontaneously combust uh, when I drink it. I'm, I'm sure there are some people on the radical left that wish I would, uh, but that's just not the case. It's, you know, it, the left starts demonizing gases that are necessary for life on earth. You know, what's next? Water vapor? Are they going to want to go net zero water? Uh, uh, it, it's just absolutely absurd. And and so what we do is, is we just do the research. Well, okay, so the planet might be warming, uh, although there are some studies that show over the last 10 years, it's not, it's remaining flat. I do argue that it's getting warmer in cities. There's this urban heat effect, this urban heat island effect, where there's more asphalt, concrete, uh, more buildings that store the heat and radiate that heat for a longer period of time. So you are creating warmer areas in cities, but out in these rural areas, uh, NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, put new monitors out in 2005, 142 new state-of-the-art monitors uh, away from urban heat islands because over 90% of the monitors they use to measure temperature in the United States are near urban heat islands. That means they're near an asphalt parking lot, they're near an astroturf field, or some pictures I've seen right by Venta Hood's by a restaurant. Uh, for those of us that have worked at a restaurant over a grill or anywhere near Vena Hood, it's hot. And yep. so you're going to get warmer temperatures near that. I don't know if that was done maliciously or intentionally, but these new 142 that have been out since 2005 are showing no warming. Uh, but any warming that does continue is going to be mild and manageable. And it's much more manageable when you have access to affordable, reliable energy. People in Austin have been finding out over the last few weeks what it means not to have reliable electricity. We found out in Texas in 2021 uh, when you had millions of people in the state that didn't have reliable electricity. Over 700 people reported dying, some of those people freezing to death in the energy capital of the world. That shouldn't be the case. Uh, so, but I mentioned the Paris Accord numbers earlier today, or, or if you decarbonize the US. The temperature differential, less than two-tenths of a degree. The, the Paris Accord, if every single signatory of the Paris Accord met their commitments, and that includes China and the U.S. It's not ratified in the U.S., but Biden has signed it. But you include China and India, these countries that have so-called signed it, if they met their commitments and decarbonized by 2050, the temperature differential by 2100 is 0.17 degrees. Wow. It's nothing. It's practically immeasurable. But look at the trillions of dollars of our money that is being spent, the trillions of dollars that are being spent that makes our cost go up, that pushes people into poverty. And we are seeing massive increases of people that are getting disconnect notices. This went from about 12% of the population now to, and it's rising, it's almost at over 20% of the population will get a disconnect notice in, in the next six months. That 12% was about the entire year uh, and you've and, and those people are pay are they saying that they're getting disconnect notices or making late payments because they don't have the money it's not because they're forgetting to pay their bills it's because they don't have the money uh, and that's appalling and we're keeping the last billion people on the face of the earth that don't have any electricity or in access to energy we're keeping them in abject poverty 
There's 3 yep. billion people that have very limited access, less than what it takes to, to power a refrigerator here yeah. in the United States. They don't have access to that much electricity on an annual basis, but yeah. they could if, if we could get rid of these globalist elites that I think are really violating people's human rights around the face of the earth. And I would love for Congress to call people like Klaus Schwab and Antonio Gutierrez at the UN and, and quite honestly, Bill Gates and Larry Fink and Al Gore and John Kerry before human rights tribunals. Why are are they pushing policies while they're flying around in their jets, forcing people to get va uh, vaccinated? Uh, why are they keeping them in abject poverty? Because that's what their yeah. policies are doing. Both of us are working on trying to end poverty, letting people prosper, right? The whole point Amen. of this, this show is to ensure that people have the opportunity to, to prosper. And too often, many people don't. Um, and if you don't have power, if you don't have reliable sources of energy that are going to power things and power the economy, you're going to, um, res the result is more poverty. It's, it's, it's clear. I mean, throughout human history, this is why we are so prosperous today uh, and also have the cleanest burning uh, place. I mean, one of the things you look at CO2 em emissions is that they've been declining in the United States compared to other places because we are richer. We're able to do things. We're able to use natural gas, which is more cleaner burning than yeah. coal and other things along the way. And so it's allowing for us to be more clean burning, even if CO2 emissions are creating some sort of um, negative externality that's out there, we're actually doing a better job because we're richer in the process. It goes against the other side sort of arguments here. Um, and, and one of the things that I was you know, thinking about is we have a lot of government involvement, not only through ESG wow. and, and you know the Federal Reserve is trying to back some of this as well. Um, mm -hmm. The other financial regulations are starting to push this ESG throughout the entire economy, even for business to be able to report what's their impact, what's their carbon footprint. Um, it's just mind-blowing to think about the effect and the cost that they're having on economic growth and prosperity that's going to happen over time had they not done that. And we could be able to adapt to what's going on, like we've done throughout human history, compared <laughs> to government using their big government tentacles and being intrusive and infiltrating the overall economy and making it worse off in the process is going to be a, a bad situation. And, and what I'd like to you know fi um, finish up here with all this discussion is what happened during in Texas. You know, I know that you have been using using this terminology of reliable versus unreliable, which yeah. I think is, is really good here, where reliable sources of energy are more of your thermal energy, the things that actually keep the power on, <laughs> you know, over time yeah. with, with nuclear and natural gas and, and coal versus your unreliable, your renewable source of energy, which are unreliable in the sense that they're not around all the time, given if it's cloudy, right, or if the wind's not blowing. Um, it, what is your explanation for what happened in Texas? Because when I go to other places and talk to a lot of other folks, you know, there, there's a disagreement in some sense of what exactly happened. Some will even think that the natural gas plants were, they, they were the ones that tripped and they failed. And so that's the reason why the grid didn't work. Um, but what is, what is your take on the facts and what you've been able to do over the last couple of years. That was in February of 2021. So we've had some yeah. time since then. Yeah. And here we are two years later, and we we almost had a similar event happen just last, last week in Austin because of not enough reliable electricity, not enough emphasis placed on reliability and infrastructure. So it, the grid issues where people, 30,000 people in Austin Energy Service Area not having electricity had nothing to do with grid reliability. We had 
had enough reliable electricity on the grid, thanks to natural gas, coal, and nuclear. Uh, what happened is it's the same thing we saw in people like, oh, you're just blaming wind and solar. And I'm like, no, I'm not blaming wind and solar. They didn't show up. Like, how, how can you blame someone that didn't show up? You know, but what, what I am blaming are the policymakers that have put the policies in place over the se last several decades that prop up one form of generation over the other. In the way our market works in Texas, everything based on price. So if you can put electricity on the grid and it's cheap, then you're going to get to put electricity on the grid first and foremost. So that's why when it's really windy out, then what happens is, is natural gas has to derate, coal has to derate, nuclear stays at the same typically five gigawatts because they're good baseload generation. They keep the frequency in the lines. It keeps the grid from collapsing. But you've got these sources that have to turn down and they're not making revenue. Well, a lot of times they have to put electricity on the grid. And when they do that, the spot price is negative. So you've got so much wind being generated that they're essentially paying the grid. And I, I covered this in a PragerU video uh, about the, the Texas freeze where, and I use this analogy of a restaurant, imagine you own a restaurant and then all of a sudden you've got a competitor that opens up down the street and they're paying their customer to take their product. Well, your market restaurant is going to lose. It's going to close. And that's what we're seeing happen with the reliable thermal generation because the federal government and the state government and local governments these financial institutions are also propping up. So you've got all of these people that are propping up this unreliable source of generation so they can virtue signal that they're going carbon free, which again, does nothing to mitigate a changing climate. I believe the increased concentrations of CO2 in the atmosphere, which are 0.04% now, have actually been beneficial to food production. Where, uh, there was an article recently about some research done in Australia that showed that deserts are greening. So what are the bumper stickers the left going to say now? Save the deserts? So they, they clearly don't care about the whales because right. this coastal wind is destroying whale species up and down the Atlantic coast in the Northeast United States. Uh, and it's just, you you don't hear a chirp out of the people in the climate cult because they're going to they want to destroy the face of the earth to allegedly save the earth but what's going to happen is they will it will destroy the earth and it'll get rid of the humans that live on it if we allow their policies to continue so we've advocated for pushing back for putting reliable electricity on the grid favoring reliability so that we can what's called firming up firm up our grid to make sure that we do have affordable reliable electricity but there's no competition in the market right now because wind and solar are just have so much subsidies that natural gas and coal and nuclear can't compete so they're not building new generation so if we do fix the market of electric generation then we've got to go and fix the financial market because you're still going to have these big banks that have the ability to loan the money, but they won't. Oh, no, we're not going to loan new money to build new natural gas or coal. Uh, they're actually early retiring reliable, clean coal and natural gas. Uh, I, I, I mentioned this in my testimony of all the technology that Chinese steal from us. It'd be nice if they would utilize our pollution control technology, but they don't. And uh, what happens is we increase regulations here in the United States and we push manufacturing. We push energy production like wind and solar being built in China. We push all that overseas. And then you look at the, the pollution that hits our air here in the U.S. It does impact us. I testified uh, and there's research that shows over 80 percent of the mercury emissions in the U.S. are 
either naturally occurring or they're from Asia. And so why are we doing these policies that prop up China over Americans? We, we've got to stop it. We're, we're really leading the fight here, not only in Texas, but in the U.S. to try to get these market distorting policies wiped out so that we can have... I believe that if we if we need things and we do need things in this country, that everything, everything should be manufactured and made right here in the United States, because we would do it more responsibly than anywhere else on the face of the earth. And then we can export that and lift everyone in this country, because energy poverty is not only affecting people in third world countries, it's also affecting people here in the United States. It's those that are getting the disconnect notices from the utilities. And we've got to stop this and we can do it with good policies. And Jason, we we know that markets work, right? Markets uh, that, work. That you, as you mentioned, that prices matter, and they they should direct where the resources are going for production, not based on politicians and bureaucrats telling where those dollars should go, but where the marketplace, where producers, where there's more knowledge that's 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 available. You know, one of the reasons why it seemed like they wanted to pump more money in with subsidies and tax breaks and everything else. It, oh, by the way, you know, you're really instrumental in helping to get Chapter 313, a property tax abatement here in Texas for school districts yeah. um, that didn't wasn't extended and it actually expired in December 2022. I hope they did not bring back anything like that. They shouldn't bring back it at all. Uh, I know there's gonna be some discussion here in Texas um, this session, but you know, one when they started all this was that this was an infant industry. There's a part of economics that talks about an infant industry that if you can help it out for a little while, that it will get and it will be able to compete with the other sort of uh, pr provisions, production that's in that particular sector. In this case, you know, the natural gas, the, the coal and, and the nuclear. But how long does it take for it to be to get out of an infant industry? I mean, yeah, we've been doing the this first for decades 40 year old now. infant. Yeah, it's like it's, this, this has been going on for decades now. It's not an infant industry anymore. It, it's got to be able to compete with the others. I mean, look, if we're going to be a, above, you know, um, across the board, you know, um, uh, just make sure that we use whatever we can, uh, which maybe we, maybe we should within the marketplace, but let the market direct the resources and not politicians. And I don't think you would have the problems like we did with the grid in 2021. And in moving into the future, we have one of the most deregulated electrical grid here in Texas that I think should be looked at by other states as the beacon of hope for energy and for and for prosperity and instead you know there's oftentimes people who want to continue this sort of of, of push for production tax credits for subsidies tax breaks and everything else for these unreliable sources of energy that are going to make us poor over time so as we move forward jason in our last couple of minutes here what do you hope to see with legislation within the movement for, for energy and, and the free market reforms that can be out there? What do you really see for the future? Yeah, I think it's time to cut off the 40-year uh, infant, uh, if you will, uh, because that's how long they've been getting subsidies. And the financial numbers keep coming in from these companies that produce unreliable electric generation, whether they produce the equipment or the, uh, the electricity, losing billions of dollars. And this is where you've got these large financial asset managers that are taking dollars out of American energy producers, the responsible American energy producers that produce hydrocarbons, fossil fuels, and propping it up. Up into foreign-born uh, companies that are losing billions of dollars and now asking for more handouts, for more subsidies. We, we've got to get rid of these. And so, but I think our best shot here in Texas, this legislative session, is to get some language passed uh, that was in Senate Bill Three last session. Came out of the Senate, it got stripped out in the House, uh, and the Public Utility Commission is not implementing it. Uh, and, and they say they really, they don't. It wasn't the will of the legislature to do it. Well, hopefully, the will of the legislature gives 
gives them the authority and really the mandate to firm up our grid and ensure reliability. If you're going to put electricity on the grid, then it needs to be reliable electricity. So you do have a competitive market. None of this variability, none of this, hey, we'll have electricity when the wind's blowing or the sun's shining. It's got to be when Texans need it the most and no other exception to that whatsoever. So I think we're going to have some success in pushing uh, those policies this session uh, because of the education that we've been delivering for years. We knew about this was going to happen. These are our recommendations before Winter Storm Uri happened because we knew there's and there's still not enough reliable electric generation uh, on the grid, barely to meet to today's needs. But in 2027, it, it's, it's not enough. And that's when we're going to have really big outages if we don't do anything. And that is going to lead to the same thing that's happened in the United Kingdom, the same thing that's happened in Germany and what's happening in California, deindustrialization. You'll have deindustrialization happen in Texas, and that will be crushing to prosperity. And so we've, we're hopefully we'll get this issue fixed this legislative session. Well, I know that you'll be working hard on it, Jason, like you do each and every day um, and trying to find ways to let people prosper overall. You know, Texas is the, is the place really to be. And it has been for many years. We've got 30 million people in Texas, thousand people moving here every day. So there's going to be a lot of demands on, on the grid and other things that are going on. And we've got to make sure that we have reliable energy that's provided so that people can fulfill their dreams, live the American dream, do whatever it is that's going to make them prosper and flourish overall for themselves and their family, you know? And so I think that it's just um, a remarkable thing that you're doing, Jason. And um, I hope that you will continue to find and, and fulfill your calling. Uh, I really believe it's God's calling for you. Yeah. And that I hope that, you know, God will continue to bless you and your family as y'all continue to, to prosper overall. Thanks, so thank man. You. God bless you. And thanks for uh, you know helping to let people prosper. Yes, sir. Well, thank you so much, Jason, for being on the show for the audience. Please rate us a five-star rating if you enjoyed this and subscribe to wherever you get your podcast on whatever platform it may, may be. Um, but again, thank you for joining us. Let people prosper.